Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Oh, loud shout! It's all over now. Nathan Menon's finger goes up. Welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast. Australia, unfortunately, was humbled in the first test uh, in Nagpur, going down by an innings and 132 runs against India. But now it's a good opportunity to bounce back. Louis Cameron has followed the team over to Delhi, and he joins me now from Delhi, the Indian capital. Louis, how are you? I'm good, Josh. I'm good. It's um, it's a bit smoggier up here in in Delhi. There's a little bit more uh, pollution here, but it's um, it's an interesting city. I haven't been out and about too much to to explore it just yet. But um, the cricket ground is, is certainly unique in in the way, at least one of the stands is shaped. And um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's fair to say. I mean, we probably all thought this was going to be the biggest series Australia have played abroad in, in quite some time. You, it could make a case that this might be the biggest test Australia has played anywhere in the last few years. Okay, okay. Well, we'll get to the um, dynamics of the stadium in just a second, but there's a couple of uh, squad updates that I guess we've got, some injury updates. Uh, why don't you give us the lowdown on uh, Mitchell Stark and Cameron Green? Yep, and even going back further, I guess the the one that happened before that was Mitchell Swepson heading back to Queensland to be with his partner Jess for the birth of their first child. So hopefully that, that all goes um, happily and safely. And Matthew Kuhneman, his Queensland teammate, has, has flown over here. Um, and so him and Mitchell Stark have actually been training in Delhi for a couple of days before the rest of the squad arrived from Nagpur. Um, so Stark Stark and, uh, and Cameron Green are probably the two uh, biggest points of interest. And then Kuhneman maybe a, a secondary consideration there, although maybe, maybe a primary one, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, yesterday, I guess we got to see Stark bowling for the first time um off you know while he's been with the squad he has been bowling without the splint that was holding his his left middle finger together um remember was the boxing day test where he was fielding and he kind of smashed it in the outfield and suffered some tendon damage so he he quite strangely told me that he's been bowling with the index finger and the ring finger uh and kind of having the the splint uh, the splint finger in behind that, and that's how he's been bowling while oh, the wow. finger is in a splint. Yeah, and I just couldn't believe that. And I, um, I didn't get the chance to ask him whether that was the batters as well, because I would have thought you're a fair chance of bowling a beamer um, <laughs> with such a loose, loose, um, loose grip on the ball. So that that was pretty interesting. But he he's back to bowling off his middle finger, um, hit the splints off. The issue now is just whether that finger is right to get through a test match. And it sounds funny, but it, it can actually get quite sore when your finger's been in a, in a thing that keeps it straight for six straight weeks. Um, it, it just doesn't have the range of movement. It's not used to doing anything. Um, all the things we kind of just take for granted out of our digits, uh, it's, it hasn't been doing that. So to put it, you know, to potentially bowl 30, 40 overs in a test match, um, that's, it, it, he's just not going to be at 100% if he does play. Then Cameron Green, who also has a finger injury, that for him it's the right index finger. So we watched him training on 
uh, yesterday, which was uh, which was Wednesday. Uh, looks looks fine, batting beautifully, uh, faced fast throwdowns for the first time, um, two days out from the test. Still hasn't actually faced fast bowlers, as far as I know, leading into this test. So that that's a concern. The other concern is he mishit a couple of balls that kind of hit down the, the toe of the bat. And anyone who's played cricket can probably relate to this. It's hit the toe and you've got that shuddering feeling going up your bat. And that's what really looked to hurt his finger. So mm. whether that's just a, a thing that he'll just have to deal with if he plays in this test um, is, uh, you know, it's just something for the Aussies to consider. But I guess the, the, the short of all of that, Josh, is these guys will not be 100% if they play. And Australia probably needs to play both of them. You know, I, w- I would have thought personally to, to, you know, they need to play their best team. Um, even if these guys aren't absolutely 100% fit and firing. So um, an interesting dilemma. Yeah, I guess maybe a silver lining is during that Boxing Day test where both of those two were injured, they both played on and they both played their roles pretty well considering they were hampered by those injuries. So maybe maybe the silver lining is they don't need to necessarily be the 100% to play a role in this side. Um, so very interesting. Is your sort of feel around the space at the minute that these two will be selected even though they're not at 100%? Well, I think Green is looking pretty good. I think they really want to get him in. I think because of his importance to the team, Stark is obviously the more experienced test cricketer here and um, and is the one with the, the real proven track record in Asia as a reverse swing bowler. But Green would allow them, and so this is the other part of their selection dynamic, and this is probably where Kuhneman and or Ashen Agar would come into things if green plays that might be enough seam bowling with him and pat cummins and then they could go Lyon, murphy and one of kuman or eight or, or agar now it seems like agar might be a touchdown on confidence and kuman might be here to play potentially over him which would be um which would be incredibly bowl quite nicely in the nets from what i saw um yesterday but, but then again i watch ash and agar bowl on what should have been day five of the Nagpur test um, out in the middle on a pitch that admittedly gave him quite a bit of help and he knocked over a few of Australia's top order. So maybe, you know, he's coming back into contention as well. So as good as Mitchell Stark is, the pitch that we all saw looked... So the Australians reckon it's going to be very similar to uh, to Nagpur. Uh, I reckon it could be an even more of a, a Bunsen burner. They were kind of... Uh, look like worn patches on the on the way through. It was a different kind of soil or clay underlay um, to the pitch, uh, different to, to Nagpur, certainly. It's a bit of a darker soil. Um, and in the past, it's had a reputation, this ground, as being pretty tough for batting. Think back to 2013, and uh, that was just about the worst pitch Australia. But this is what the Australians said. It was the worst pitch they played on in their 2013 tour. Mm-hmm. And Nathan Lyon took, took seven wickets here. So... They're all the things for Australia to consider. It's a, it's a complex one. So I'm guessing there's a minimal grass coverage from what you saw on the uh, pitch out there. Fair to say, uh, fair to say, it's not going to be a green seam. We did, we did uh, just ask Pat Cummins when he was coming back from the nets yesterday, and um, said, "Oh, how's it? How's the track looking out there, mate?" And um, he said, "Yeah, three quicks, bit of seam, and uh, <laughs> yeah, just a completely straight face." So. Um, that's that's certainly not uh, not what we should expect here. Another talking point this week has been Travis Head's non-selection. Uh, the coach had a bit to say about that during the week and said that he um, 
accepted the decision but didn't necessarily agree with it. Um, is he back into? Is he in consideration to be selected for this test? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. Just because it, if it was an, in an injury, if you know Renshaw or Hanscom had gotten injured and or, or a top order player, then yeah, sure, he's probably the next batter in. Um, if Green wasn't to be fit, but I think they've kind of made their bed and now they've got to deal with it, at least for this test. You, you, the way I would see it is you've gone into the first test very sure of your plans, you're really happy with your preparation and you're really happy that those six batters, minus Green, of course, who would have been in if he'd played, are your best guys to tackle um, Rubbish Andrew Ashton and Ravindra Jadeja. They failed, but you can't... I think they'd be going back to the bad old days where teams... Australian teams would go to the subcontinent, they'd panic. And these guys have talked about this a lot. They they said in 2016 when they went to Sri Lanka and even 2013 when they went to India, they had one plan for the first test, they'd lose. One plan for the second test, they'd lose again. And then it was panic stations. And I think if this Australian team wants to show that they're not like that anymore, they need to stick with the guys who struggled in the first test, Warner, Kawaja, um, you know, the, I mean, basically the entire top six struggled struggled on that on that pitch. So um, that's that would be my read. And I think if they didn't do that, um, it, you know, it would it would be a departure from what they what they're saying they they want to want to try to achieve. It's pitching in line, impact in line, and it's hitting the wicket switches. So I'll get you to reverse your decision. It's been overturned, which means Murphy has got his fifth. And what a debut for this fine young off-spinner from Australia. Maybe just a quick word as well on Todd Murphy. Uh, there was a bit of discussion before that first test that, you know, could you play two right-arm off-spin bowlers in the same side? And Murphy came out and probably out-bowled Nathan Lyon, who, to his credit, did have some misfortune with a few drop catches going down off his bowling. But uh, Murphy's haul of seven for 124 was a pretty memorable first-up performance. There was certainly a lot of talk about, you know, whether he outbowled Nathan Lyon or not. There was a lot of talk, um, which I found interesting, about the different seam positions of the different um, off-spinners in this test. And one of the things I really like about the Indian uh, television broadcast, and you would have noticed this, Josh, seeing a lot more of it back on the TV, is the, when they show the first replay, it's always a real close-up on the ball travelling down the pitch. Mm. Um, and often it's, you know, they're really playing wicket and often it's a spinner who's taking the wicket. So you get a really good look at which way the seam's going. And, and one of the things that, you know, I'm not the first person to notice this, but one of the things I noticed was when Ashwin was uh, bowling, the, the seam was going almost, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm doing my finger on the screen here, which isn't great for a podcast medium. How can I explain this? I guess it's like, think about it, it's almost like a perfect clock um, that the, the the ball is rotating on the same axis as, as the hands on a clock. Whereas when Nathan Lyon bowls it, and I know he's worked a lot on trying to change this when he goes to the subcontinent, it's probably more at a 45-degree angle pointing towards first slip or, or in that kind of direction. Um, and that's great in Australia where you, that overspin, I mean, he can even probably point the scene further towards the, the wicketkeeper away from first slip. Yeah. And really get that overspin, and that's what that's what gets the bounce, which has made him such a weapon in Australia. In the subcontinent, you don't get the bounce, and you want the side spin. And I think Todd Murphy, for a lot of the tests, looked like he was able to replicate that Ashwin kind of side spin that has made him so dangerous. The, having said that, people have kind of said, "Well, 
you know, Nathan Lyon can't bowl that side. He can, why can't he do, he do it? He's, you know, taking 460 test wickets. I actually think he can. And I think he has shown on previous tours of the subcontinent. Um, I think back to Bangladesh in 2017. Um, I think back even to Sri Lanka last year where he was very effective. And I, I think he did bowl with those kind of seam deliveries. So, um, you know, when the, the thing was, was we didn't, it, I, I, you're watching from afar. So I couldn't. They might, he might have bought a lot of balls like that and they just didn't get wickets and because you didn't see the wicket replay. Um, exactly, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So he might have been getting a lot of those kind of side spinners. I'm not a, a spin bowling expert. Um, uh, you know, I just try to listen to people who are, I guess. <laughs> so um, I wouldn't – Lyon has a lot of experience and he doesn't often have a couple of bad tests in a row. So um, I am really looking forward to see how he bowls in this test. Um, and to answer your original question here, I think Todd Murphy was, was fantastic and there are enough – differences between them i think to to potentially make them a you know a solution to um you know to that second spin spot in in the subcontinent yeah and that might be part of the point of difference plan if murphy's going to really go for those side spinning deliveries then it makes sense to lot for lion to um stick with more over spin um even in those conditions so maybe that's all part of the grand plan uh so delhi India have an amazing record there. They've barely lost there in the last 20 years. But the third test won't be in Dharmashala anymore. It's been moved to indoor. Uh, Louis, why has that happened? Yeah, it's um, it's a good question. We haven't been up there to see it. But uh, the photos we've seen is that the, they've relayed the, the outfield and installed a new drainage system up there. So Dharmashala, for people who, who don't know, is the, the really beautiful picturesque venue um, in northern India just at the foothills of the Himalaya mountain range. And uh, so it's obviously quite a bit colder up there. And you would, you, I guess the theory went that Australia were looking forward to playing there because uh, it might be a bit more, more seam and, and not as kind of dry conditions. Um, as it turns out, I guess the it probably uh, wasn't, they, they probably needed more um, more rain and stuff up there <laughs> to, to get the outfield to take. So um so, yeah, so they've moved the third test to uh, the BCCI decided that the outfield's not fit for a test match and they've moved it to indoor. Only two test matches have been played there. Looks like quite a good batting wicket. Maybe it might end up being the best batting strip um, in this in this series, just going off previous, um, previous tests. Uh, but you wrote um, a, a really good piece, Josh, kind of summarising it, and there was one guy who has a phenomenal record at the venue. Do you want to reveal who that is? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's uh, the Indian spearhead Ravi Chandra and Ashwin, who's played two tests there, uh, 18 wickets to his name, at a miserly average of 12 and a half. So he certainly enjoys playing there. And I also thought I'd look back at the most recent uh, first-class fixture there as well, just to see what the split between uh, quicks and uh, pace bowling wickets were. And surprisingly, um, this was just last week, that match actually, surprisingly it was 20 wickets to spin and 20 wickets to pace. So uh, maybe it won't be uh, totally dominated by spin as, as as we've seen. But then again, when you've got the quality of uh, Ashwin, Jadeja and Akshar all in one team, then probably makes sense to bowl a lot of spin regardless. It does, it does. And I dare say that the wicket might end up being slightly different uh, for test matches as what it was to the to the Ranji Trophy. Yeah, I think that's a fairly good call. Louis, thanks for um, dialing in all the way from Delhi for this edition of the Unplayable Podcast. Enjoy the second test and we'll catch up with you uh, when it's all done. Wonderful. Thanks, Josh. Mm-hmm.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.